Today, um, before we begin this kind of sermon, it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more of a class. Before this class of Life 101, I just want to speak a little bit about um, you a little bit today. I just speak my heart uh, a little bit. So this has been a hard few weeks for us at church here. Uh, we've lost some precious people in this congregation. We tragically lost a young man last week. And before that, there was a young lady who passed away, and we lost last week a dear, dear, sweet lady. And it's been a lot around here. But I am in awe of you. I have seen the beauty of this church. You have moved in a way that you have come around and cared for these people, their families, these individuals in, in great, profound ways. In Philippians 2, it says, Do nothing out of self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourself, seeking not your own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And I have seen it this week. I've seen the beauty of this church, the church, in the last few weeks, people laying down their agendas, laying down their needs to care for one another, and I am in awe. I am moved by it. And it's not just me. There are many people outside of these church walls who have come to me and come to our staff and said that how impressed they were with how well this church cared for its individuals. And so I'm just like a proud papa. I'm so thankful for you guys. And I just want to say thank you and just heap tons of praise because, listen, this is what we do. It's who we are. We care for one another. Not for our own good, but we want others to see our good works and give praise to who? Our Father. This is what the early church did. When we look at the early church in Acts, it says that God added to their number daily, not through debate, not through marketing, not through attractionalism, but because they lived out the message and the hope and the care of Christ so thoroughly in their lives. And we believe that he wants to do that here. We know that he wants to do that here. And so I just am grateful for what we see. Uh, the Christianity in the early days, I love that the Roman government was so frustrated with Christians because of its spread. And it was spreading because this is one of the historians in the Roman uh, government wrote this. We have this today. He said that these Christians were not only taking care of their poor and burden, but ours too. They were frustrated because they just wouldn't keep with their own poor and burden. They were caring for the, the context of the community in their poor and their burden. And I, I just love that note. And I, I, I'm just, that's part of our identity of who we are, just caring for one another. And so I just wanted to say thank you today. It is a privilege to be in community with you. This is one of the greatest honors of my life, uh, to serve alongside of you. And so let's get on with today. So obviously, uh, there's going to be a little bit different, more of a class than a sermon. I'm not going to be yelling. Well, I kind of already did yell. I was going to say, I wasn't going to yell at you guys, but uh, I might have already yelled. Uh, not a whole lot of humor within this. It's kind of dry stuff. Uh, I'll supplement here a little bit for you uh, today. A little joke for you just to have uh, start the day with. So there was a composer uh, at the end of his life. He's talking about his death. He says, at my funeral, I'd love for all of my early works to be buried with me so that I can decompose for the rest of my life. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I find it more humorous myself if you don't laugh. I get more out of things if you don't laugh. So just, it's a little quirk about me uh, that you need to know. 
So today's going to be a little heady, uh, but, at some, but at some point, we had to kind of bring this to you so you can understand who we are as a church and what we believe. Uh, this is a rhythm that we want to begin to get into here at church where we have regular meetings of Life 101. They'll be in smaller settings, so those of you who are new to our church can learn a little bit about what we believe and who we are. And so fundamentally today, we're going to answer just a few questions. We want to answer these as a church. We want to answer who we believe God is, what we believe the gospel is, what is church, and then ultimately, who are we here? Who are we here? So we want to speak towards our beliefs on primary issues of salvation, as well as we want to talk briefly about some secondary issues that don't directly engage the doctrine of salvation. And we also want to speak towards our vision and identity briefly towards the end. And so let's just get started today uh, with where we're at. We're going to talk about who is God first. And we want to speak about God in six different ways. And so let's start with the fact. And listen, all of these things that we're going to go through are concisely available in a handout that is at the desk directly behind you. Uh, they have our scriptural references to you, for you to understand why we've come to believe these things. Uh, so please take advantage of grabbing those when you leave today. So who is God? The fact. The fact of God's existence is so conspicuous but through, both through creation and through man's conscience that the Bible calls the atheist a fool. Accordingly, the Bible never attempts to prove the existence of God. Rather, it assumes his existence from the very beginning. What the Bible does, does is reveal the nature and the character and the work of God. That's the fact of God. The definition of God, who is God, the definition Thinking correctly about God is of utmost importance because a false idea about God is idolatry. In Psalms 50, 21, God reproves the wicked man with this accusation, you thought I was altogether like you. To start with, a good summary definition of God is the supreme being, the creator and ruler of all that is, the self-existent one who is, the pre is perfect in power, goodness, and wisdom. Who is God in his nature? Who is God in his nature? We know certain things to be true of God for one reason. In his mercy, he has condescended, which means he humbled himself, to reveal some of his qualities to us. God is spirit, by nature intangible. God is one, but he exists as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God is infinite, incomparable, and unchanging. God exists everywhere, knows everything, and has all power and all authority. Who is God in his character? Here are some of God's characteristics as revealed in the Bible. God is just, loving, truthful, and holy. God shows compassion, mercy, and grace. God judges sin, but also offers forgiveness. Who is God according to his work? We cannot understand God apart from his work. Because what God does flows from who he is. Here's an abbreviated list of God's works. Past, present, and future. God created the world. He actively sustains the world. He is executing his eternal plan, which involves the redemption of man from the curse of sin and death. He disciplines his children, and he will judge the world. And lastly, who is God? A relationship with him. In the person of the Son, 
God becomes incarnate, God in flesh. The Son of God becomes the Son of Man and is therefore the bridge between God and man and is only through the Son that we can have forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God, and eternal salvation. In Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So to really know who God is, all we have to do is look at Jesus. And so that is who we believe God is, broken into six different parts. And is the fact of God, the definition, his nature, his character, his work, and a relationship with him. Now, what do we believe the gospel is? The gospel means the good news. And we divide that good news into four different parts. Four different parts. First, we have God and we have man. That God is the creator of all things. He is perfectly holy worthy of all worship, and willing to punish sin. God made everything, and it was very good. And then we have man. All people, though created good, have become sinful by nature. From birth, all people are alienated from God, hostile to God, and subject to the wrath of God. Christ, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all who would believe in him and rose from the grave in order to give his people eternal life. And the last element is response. God calls everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and trust in Christ in order to be saved. And so those are the four parts that we see as important to the gospel. Man or God, man, Christ, and our response. I say it like this. When you hear me preach a message, when I present the gospel, this is what I have to say. That God is so perfect, he's so loving, he created all things very good. And he's so perfect, he's so holy, he's so just that he cannot be in the presence of sin. We, as his creation, have belittled his name. We have chosen our own way rather than God. We have mocked the name of God. And God will not stand for his name to be mocked. And because God is so just, so holy, so precious, sin has wrath. It has a punishment because he can't be in front of it. And so God pulls out all of his wrath onto his son Christ and he kills him. And then he raises him from the dead. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive and active in those who by faith trust in Christ. Confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts. That is the gospel. You cannot under the, understand the good news without the bad news. And there's some bad news. We're broken. And so does this world. So that is what we believe as the gospel. What is the church? What is church? These are great questions. I want you to watch a video here by a brilliant man named J.I. Packer. We'll roll this and we'll talk about it afterwards. The church is the fellowship of all the Christians that there are. And it's the family of God. So, just as every father wants all his children to take each other seriously and live together in love as a family, so our Heavenly Father wants the whole community of those whom he saved out of every nation and tribe and culture and part of the world to take each other seriously as brothers and sisters in the family. And that means taking the church seriously. 
The family organizes itself in any number of what we call congregations. Um, congregations are groups of Christians in the same area who gather together to worship God the Father, to worship and love the Lord Jesus, God the Son, to love each other and celebrate the fact that they are all in the reality of eternal life together and to spread the word of the Christian gospel as widely as they can in their own part of the world. And for that matter, to organize the spreading of the gospel in other parts of the world if they're able to do that. This is a way of saying that for God the Father, it's enormously important that the church his family be, shall I say, doing its stuff. And any person who thinks that I can be a Christian on my own without the church is really perverse. I'm sorry to have to say it, but I'll repeat it, really perverse. You can't live the real Christian life except as a member of the family and so as part of the church. And so we, we agree with J.I. Uh, about the nature of the church. And he talks about two different kinds of churches. He talks about the universal church, which is all God's believer, believers throughout the entire earth. That is the global, universal, big C church. But there's also what we call the little C church, which is the local congregations uh, of God's people in their communities. This life community church is a local congregation. And we gather here to sing songs. We gather here to hear God's word. We gather here to offer up prayers. We gather here to care for one another. We gather here to serve side by side with one another to impact the world so that they might know and experience the love of Christ. Church isn't a building. It's not a location. It's not a place. It's us. We are the church. Those of us who believe in Christ by faith we join together at this very venue to do all the things that we just talked about, but we don't just do them here. We do them everywhere that we go because wherever we are, we represent the church. Church isn't just Sunday. It's everything that we do. We speak well of the name of Christ. That is what we believe about church. Now, the question is, is who are we? Who are we here at Life Community Church? Well, in your bulletins, if you have it, I have listed uh, our statement of faith. And I just want to go through that with you guys so you understand. It's, it's important for us that we do this annually, maybe, I don't know how often, but you understand what we believe and why we believe these, th these things. And so this is our belief statement. This is in our Constitution. It says, At Life Community Church, we believe that God is big enough to come into anyone's life and completely transform that life into something that honors God. No matter what they've done or what has been, what's been done to us, God can redeem and restore us through the work of Jesus Christ. The following beliefs are the foundation of all that we do. And there's eight I believe statements here. Number one is we believe that both the Old Testament and the New Testament of the Bible constitute the divinely inspired Word of God. We believe in one God existing eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit is sent from God, the Father, in order to convict each, of, each person of his or her sins, of one's lack of righteousness, and of 
judgment to come. The Holy Spirit also makes the believer in Jesus Christ spiritually alive, providing comfort, guidance, and courage as we strive to follow the commandments in the Bible. We believe that without Jesus Christ paying the full price for our sin on the cross, sinful man is hopeless and eternally lost. Man, by his own efforts, has no means by which he can become spiritually alive, obtain forgiveness, or be declared righteous before God. We believe that salvation is a gift of God, brought to man by grace and received by personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in water baptism for believers, symbolizing the believer's identification as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to just time out there. Because here's the thing. If you go to different denominations, you will have a different belief in that. And there's other places. But I want to speak to this understanding of why we believe and I've talked about this when we do baptism, why we believe baptism is a step of obedience and not linked to salvation. Here's why we believe that. If baptism were, were, were connected to salvation, if it was necessary, then we would expect to see that stressed any time the gospel was preached. In Acts, Peter, at the day of Pentecost, preaches the gospel and tells people to be baptized. But the next chapter later, Peter preaches the gospel and connects forgiveness of sins to repentance. And so if baptism were necessary for the forgiveness of our sins, why didn't Peter say so in Acts 3? Paul never made baptism a part of his proclamation of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives a concise summary of the gospel of Christ, the message that was, he was preaching, and there is no mention of baptism. And in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, I didn't come here to baptize I came here to preach the gospel. And so if baptism is necessary, Paul has a different understanding because he never links the gospel with baptism. And so it's, it's, that's why we believe what we do. And perhaps the most compelling evidence of why we believe baptism is not necessary for salvation is those who were saved apart from baptism. You've got the penitent woman in Luke. You've got the thief on the cross in Luke. You've got the paralytic man in Matthew. You've got the publican in Luke. There are a variety of people who all received the gift of the Holy Spirit apart from baptism. And for that record, there's no record of the apostles ever being baptized. The Bible also gives us many examples of pe people who received the Holy Spirit before baptism. Cornelius and his family were given the Holy Spirit, and it's only because of the Holy Spirit that Peter says, I'm going to baptize this guy. And so this is why we don't link salvation with baptism, but a step of obedience that God says that we should do to show who we are and what we aim to do. So I wanted to clarify that for you. Let's continue. We believe the life of the believer is marked by holiness and purity, order that he might be a light and example to those in this world. Because we believe that God loves you so much just where you're at. But we, we believe that he loves you way too much to leave you where you're at. And so we love this big word called sanctification. That there should be a process in our life that we look more and more like Jesus as we mature in this faith. And lastly, we believe in the personal, visible, and bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in a resurrection to eternal life of all believers who names are written in the book of life. And so these are our fundamental rooted beliefs. Fundamental. But we also share convictions and beliefs and convictions 
and some secondary issues that aren't tied to the doctrine of salvation and to the doctrine of grace. Here at Life, we like to keep the main thing the main thing, right? We want to make this about Jesus Christ and His grace and His love and His mercy, what He has done for us. But we also have convictions in other areas. We strive for unity. We know that there are different beliefs within the Christian faith. That's why we have so many denominations. And we are going to strive for unity in as much as we can. But there are some places that, that, that because we see different, we, we don't think that we can find unity in these convictions and these beliefs. And so I just want to mention them today for you because look if you have a hard belief in these areas that is against ours this may not be a perfect marriage for us it may not be the right fit and so we just want to be honest with those things we value marriage we uphold God's institution of marriage we great great value on it why because we believe that God gave it to us for a reason the word would tell us that the union between two people mirrors Christ's relationship with the church. Worldly marriage shows us how God, Christ, loves his church. And we are to mirror that in our marital relationships by self-sacrifice, by commitment, by service, by denying ourselves that we would understand how much God loves us. Marriage teaches us tangibly how to follow Christ. And we believe in marriage as it is defined in Scripture as being between one man and one woman. And we think that there are obvious physical attributes that lead us to believe that. But we also serve a God who desires His creation to flourish. Not just necessarily us as persons to flourish, but for His creation to flourish, to be fruitful and multiply. And so we see the act of homosexuality as not what God would have for His people. And we would see it written as sin in God's Word. We believe that the primary role of parents is discipler. We believe that it is the role of the family to enact discipleship into their kids, that that is our main job as moms and dads, and we are not to outsource that responsibility to anybody else. We are here as the church to help you, to come around you, but it is our role as moms and dads to be the greatest example of Christ in our children and even our grandchildren's life. And so those are some really concrete secondary issues that we have convictions and taken a position on. But honestly, as an elder crew, we're, we're discussing more and more of these things where we stand on other issues, and there will be more issues that will come in the future. We'll, we'll print those out. We'll, we'll put them into our Life 101 packages. But again, we want to make this about Christ. We preach Christ. We make this all about finding unity, where we can find unity. We make this about his sacrifice, his grace, his mercy, and his love, about what he has done for us and why he did that for us, but we believe that good theology matters. We believe that it matters to God because it helps create for us boundaries that keep us from falling for anything. If we stand for nothing, we fall for everything, and these are boundaries that we live by. Okay, now I want to talk to you, this is, I want to talk to you about lens, uh, about identity, about who we are. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, I love Tim Keller, in his book, Center Church, doing balanced gospel ministry in your city. Tim talks about four different types of churches. Four different types of churches. And I want to walk through these today because I think it's important that you understand them so you understand our lens. There's four different types of churches. He says there is a church in the city. This is number one. A church in the city. This church meets together, gathers for worship, and creates programs for its congregants. But apart from ministering to the people who gather within the four walls of the church, the church has little to no effect on the city 
around it. That is a church in the city. And then there's a church against the city. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church against the city. This church has an us versus them mentality. In other words, the church is good and the city is bad. The people of the city are bad while the people of the church are good. And the church people, therefore, need to be kept isolated from the evil people that surround them. The church against the city. And then there's a church of the city. A church of the city. A church of the city has bent so far to the culture that has ceased to be salt and light in that city. When addressing the Ephesians church in Revelations 2, Jesus spoke about hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Many scholars believe that the Nicolaitans had been so concerned about being relevant to the culture that they lost their ability to stand apart as the city set on the hill. We are a city set on the hill. In the midst of trying to impress people with their cultural sensibilities, the Ephesian church lost the effect of the gospel of Christ. And then lastly, there's a church for the city. A church for the city. This church seeks the shalom, peace, or the welfare or flourishing of a city for the glory of God and the exaltation of Christ. To be clear, city engagement can never be an end unto itself. We are called as God's people to love our neighbor, but that love must always point others to the one who first loved us. So the question is, who are we? <laughs> what do you think that we are? You don't have to answer that. We have maybe drifted into some of these time to time in our history here at Life, but I really want to be clear today. We want to be a church for the city. We are a church for the city, and we are going to make much about the name of Christ. That is our lens that we look through in this church. It's a lens that we're beginning to look through in every single ministry that we have. We want to love and encourage well those who sit inside these walls, but we will not do it to the detriment of those who sit outside of these walls. We want them to know Christ. And it's not just by what we say. People are kind of tired of just hearing about God. They need to see it. And so we're going to do. We have no desire to do church. We have all the desire to be the church. And we are all about having a great experience here, about increasing morale and having a good experience uh, in the church. But we will not do that at the detriment of mission. There is a balance that happens, has to happen between morale and mission. And so we are going to be a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. That's what we're going to focus on doing. And we have four values that ground us in that pursuit. And you've probably heard these values before somewhere. We have four values. Number one is this. We, we love our neighbors. Better together, together. We care, love, serve, live better. It's one of our core values. The other one, another one is this. A generous heart and service and giving and love, grace and truth. A third value is a pursuit of godliness. Good luck reading that full thing there. You're not... <laughs> In our hearts, deeds, and words. And the last one is we believe in a truth that guides. We believe in the word of God as the inspired text of God for the transformation of our hearts and the restoration of our relationships. And these are our core values here at Life Community Church. And overarching above all of that, you have to understand that we want this to be a culture of empowerment. We want this to be a culture of empowerment. Our central vision verse comes from Ephesians 4. This is what it says in Ephesians 4, 4 verse, starting in verse 11. 
He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So listen, we see church not as a restaurant. We see church as a culinary school. This is a training center, not a place to come and eat. It's not just a place where we come and hear God's word and sing songs. It's a place where we come to be trained, to serve, and to give back from God. That we would help to train you in the gifts that God has given to you, not just in this church, but outside the walls of this church. That each one of us would make much about the name of Christ wherever we are at. One of the things that we're embarking on here is a residency program. We want to be known as trainers. And so we have partnered with a, with a, a church in Atlanta, Georgia, and we are being trained on how to create a residency program here so we can take kids out of college that are on ministry tracks and bring them and live with them for two years and teach them how to do ministry. We want to be about equipping and empowering God's saints. How cool would it be, church, if in 10 years we talk about a guy named Jeff who was our first resident and he's in Colorado and he's killing it. We want to be empowering people and we want to be empowering you. The work of ministry is not just for the leaders of this church by those who, who are paid by this church. Quite too often in this country, we have professionalized the pulpit, meaning this. We think that the work of ministry falls to those who are being paid by the church to do the work. That is not what Ephesians 4 tells us. The work of the church is the work of the church, not the work of just some people. And so we desire to train and equip you in your gifts to make much about the name of Jesus wherever you're at because we are all in ministry no matter what vocation we are in. And so that is our aim and that is what we are pushing for. That is where we're heading and we're excited about it. And so look, that's just a little bit about us. It's a condensed version about us. We're going to continue to add things to this, but we do have a, we do have a clear picture of who we are. Do we have a clear picture of where exactly we're going and how we're going to do everything? No. No. And let me tell you why. Because we believe in a God that's supernatural. We believe in the God that, that shows up and meets our needs. We're not going to go one, two, three, four, because look, we just know this. We want to meet the needs of others. We want to empower people. And we want to be about people outside the walls of this church. And we will be a part of every opportunity that the Lord gives to us to do those things. We want to make much about the name of Christ. So we are excited about where we're heading. And so what we want to do from the, in the future is develop a, a, a 201 class that teaches about your spiritual gifts, how you are wired and how you can serve God in those things, how you can serve the church and serve your community in those things. And then we're working on a, a 301 class that talks about what it means to own the church, what it means to be a member of a, a local congregation. And so those are things that are going to come forward in the future. Smaller classes, not on this big stage, but it's important that you today understand who we are a little bit. Maybe you're new here trying to figure those out. Maybe you had some questions on where we're going. 
I hope that maybe these answers some of those today. Uh, we've got lots of work to do here, and we're excited about where we're headed. I'm excited about the people that sit in the seats, and I just, it's the honor of my life. Again, grab a packet if you want it. It's at the back desk. It concisely puts together everything that we've talked about today. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how you've equipped us at this church. We thank you for the vision that you've given us at this church. We thank you for your word, Lord, that instructs us on how to live, how to go about our business. Lord, will you convict us in heart where, where we are falling short of that? And will you increase opportunities, Lord, in this church to share of your love and grace and mercy with the world? And Father, we just praise you today for being a good God. You're a great God, and you're so good to us. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.